Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. For even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to, to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed. And so I spoke, we also believe. And so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence for it is all for your sake. So that grace extends more and more to more and more people. Sorry. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though outwardly our nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen, the things that are seen are transient, but the unseen are eternal. Jesus, this morning, I thank you that we could just come to your word and we can do eternal work. Have you speak to us? Have you touch our hearts by your power? Lord, I thank you for the written word because it leads us to you, the living word. And Jesus, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen each and every heart here this morning. Lord, I, I, I pray for those that are in the valley of life. I pray that they'd find a spring there, Lord, and that you'd feed them with living water, that they'd drink and thirst no more. Lord, for those that are on the mountaintop, I pray that they would stand in awe as they gain perspective on God's work. Lord, I pray that the discouraged would be set free. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would not lose heart, but rather that we'd, be, that we'd be strengthened this morning as we seek you. Jesus, would you, as, as we die, Lord, may your life be manifested in our flesh, in our bodies, in this body, your church. And so, Jesus, we ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning. 
May your Holy Spirit unfold your word to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we've been cruising through 2 Corinthians, we've been talking lots about ministry because that's what this book is about. It's about ministry and about what ministry looks like. And so Paul's told us lots of things about ministry. And when we, where we last left off, he talked about the idea that we have been given a new covenant ministry. He said lots of details about that, that it surpasses the past, that it's glorious, that it's full of freedom and the power of the spirit and the gospel transforms. It's this powerful, powerful ministry that we have been given. And so he's going to continue on this theme, talking about ministry. So let's just dive in right here. And actually, we're going to just plunk on one verse today. It's this first verse. And it says this. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. You know, as I was uh, just thinking about this passage and prepping my heart, I could not help but think of Elijah in his story in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. I know many of you are familiar with that story, and maybe some of you aren't, but 1 Kings chapter 18 tells a story of one of the greatest showdowns and victories of God in the pages of the Old Testament. Elijah versus the 450 prophets of Baal. See, the scripture tells us that at that time in, 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 in history, that God's people were limping and they were wavering spiritually between the worship of Baal and the worship of Almighty God. Bouncing back and forth. And so, after the nation had undergone seven years of drought without any rain, the Lord spoke to, to Elijah and he was sent to the people of Israel. And this one lone prophet uh, set up a showdown with the, the 450 prophets of Baal. And the wager was this. You call on Baal and I'll call on the Lord and whichever God answers by fire, he is God and he wins the hearts of the people. That's the deal. Pretty cool. I mean, that's an awesome showdown. To the victor belongs the undivided hearts of the people. To the God who conquers. And so, I mean, if you know the story, you know what happens. But each party took a bull. And the 450 prophets of Baal went first. And they built their altar on the top of Mount Carmel. And they called on the name of Baal, their God, to answer by fire. And the scripture says, and they called, and they called, and they called, and they called, and they called. In fact, they called from morning till noon. And finally at noon, Elijah began to mock them. You know, I like that. <laughs> I like that you can mock false gods. And you could make fun of those who call on false gods. I mean, we love them, but it's fun to kind of know that Elijah would mock that because they... They called and they called to no answer. And we know what the scripture says. Elijah began to mock and he said, well, maybe Baal's in the deep sleep. You should get louder. Maybe he's busy sitting on the toilet up there wherever he lives. I mean, that's the literal translation of what he says. He's probably relieving himself. You should call louder. Maybe he's taking a nap. And so the 450 prophets of Baal continued to dance and cry out and cut themselves and try every means that they knew to invoke the name of Baal. In fact, the scripture says that their blood gushed 
from them, from the cutting of themselves as they tried to invoke his name. But no answer, because Baal is no God. No one paid attention. And then 1 Kings chapter 18 tells us what Elijah began to do. He repaired the altar of the Lord on Mount Carmel. He took 12 stones, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and he rebuilt that altar. He dug a trench around it. He arranged the wood on the top of it, and he sacrificed that bull and laid it out on the top of that altar. And even though the land had been in drought for seven years, Elijah got the people to bring four large jars of water and to take that water and pour it on top of that sacrifice and that altar and those rocks. In fact, he says, that's not enough water. Do it again. And then he told them a third time, do it again. And the scripture says that the, the water flowed until the trench around the altar was filled with water. And then he began to call on the name of the Lord. First Kings chapter 18, verse 36 and 37 tells us his prayer. He said this, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and I have done these things according to your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know you, O Lord, our God, that you have turned their hearts back. And then you know what happened? Fire fell from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, consumed the wood, consumed the stone, licked up the water, even licked up the dust, the scripture says. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they worshiped the Lord and they cried out from their hearts, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. I mean, it's an awesome story. Then the, then the man's part of the story happens. You know, us guys, we like this part because Elijah sees those 450 prophets of Baal and with a sword, he struck every single one of them down on his own, killed them. And then the scripture says that he sent King Ahab. He said, you better get home, Ahab, because it's about to rain. I know there's been drought, but I'm going to call on the Lord and it is going to rain. And you better get home before the rain stops you. And so Elijah travailed in prayer and the Lord sent rain and Israel was watered again and replenished. You know, it's really, when you, when you read that story from, from 1 Kings, it's, it's an amazing and many layered victory for the Lord and for the prophet Elijah and for God's people. But the funny thing happens, uh, something funny happens when you flip to the next chapter in 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19. See, after this great victory, fire from heaven, the people's hearts being turned back to God, even rain falling from the sky, the scripture tells that Ahab did go home, King Ahab. And he went to his wife, who was a wicked, godless, Baal-worshipping woman, and reported that Elijah had killed the 450 prophets of Baal. And so Jezebel, in a rage, sent a messenger to Elijah, and she said this, may the gods strike me dead if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of those 450 prophets. The message was this, you're a dead man, Elijah. You're dead. And the crazy thing is, is that 
The scripture tells us that this mighty prophet of God went into a spiritual tailspin at this threat. Fear gripped his heart. Quickly, he forgot the Lord. He forgot the victory. He forgot that God had used him to turn the hearts of the people back to him. And he ran like a scared dog with, a, with his tail between his legs in fear for his life. In fact, he traveled a full day's and night's journey into the wilderness. And weary as he was, he took up a spot under a tree and the scripture says that he went to sleep. And as he slept, the Lord sent an angel to minister to him. And this angel came from heaven, put a meal there for him and tapped Elijah on the shoulder and said, the journey's long, eat and drink and be refreshed. And so Elijah got up. He drank from the jar of water and he ate the cake that the Lord had supplied. And then he went back to sleep. And then a second time, the angel woke him up and he ate and drank again. And the scripture says that on the strength of that food, those meals, he ran for 40 days and nights all the way to Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb is that famous mountain. Sometimes you get some of these biblical places confused, but Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. It's just another name for Mount Sinai. That place where Moses received the law. And you know, as you think about that story, it's, just, it's really hard to imagine the depths of discouragement that, that gripped Elijah's heart. Uh, the fear that gripped his heart. It seems to me like a minor issue, you know, like seriously, dude, Jezebel? You're running from that after all that God did in your heart and through your life. Yes, it's a serious threat, but you called down fire from heaven. You killed the 450 prophets of Baal. God used you to turn the hearts of a nation back to him and bring an end to a drought through your prayer. And yet Elijah ran. But the weird thing is this. The weird thing about the whole story is this. That God actually strengthened, physically strengthened Elijah with food so that he could continue running. Isn't that weird? I mean, to me, that is weird. That God strengthened him with food so that he would run further into the depth of the valley, so to speak. God strengthened him with food so that he would run in pursuit of his discouragement. 40 days and 40 nights on the run. And it was there at Mount Horeb. where finally in exhaustion. He sat still and God met him. It's a great story. Lord said, Elijah, I'm about to pass by. And a mighty wind shook the mountains so that the rocks broke. An earthquake came. And then a fire. But the scripture tells us the Lord was not in the wind and he was not in the earthquake and he was not in the fire. But then the sound of a whisper came. The still quiet voice of the Lord. And the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah vented. He laid his case before the Lord and the Lord let him vent. And the Lord didn't say anything. He just gave him a new assignment, a new assignment. You know, I was just thinking it doesn't take much to put the human heart on the run. Does it 
Does it take much to put us on the run spiritually? You know, a day and a night can fly by when you begin the descent from the mountaintop experience into the, the valley of depression. And God ministered to Elijah physically. God strengthened him and he led a vent and then he gave him a new assignment and a new work to do. Now in second Corinthians where we've been, Paul has been, you know, sharing with this church what it means to do the work of the ministry, not just any ministry, new covenant ministry, the ministry of the spirit, the ministry of the gospel, this great and glorious message that we have been given about Jesus Christ and the cross that's surpassing in its glory. That's open and bold and full of freedom and transforming power. You know, as we read in second Corinthians, we know things were strained between Paul and this church. We know that as we've been reading that there were times when Paul said, I felt the sentence of death. He despaired even of life itself. You know, as I was thinking about, I thought, you know, it's interesting that God will feed you and he will strengthen you to lead you further into the valley. Do you realize that God will do that? He will feed you and strengthen you enough to lead you right into the valley of discouragement. Not because he's sick and sadistic. Lots of people think that about God, that he's angry. It's not because he's sick or sadistic or angry. but rather to teach us not to rely on ourselves, but on God who is our strength. That's why Paul could say, see, the Lord's delivered me before and he'll deliver me again. On him, I have set my hope. You know, I think the highlight of Elijah's career actually didn't happen on the top of Mount Carmel <laughs> against those 450 prophets of Baal. It happened on Mount Horeb. Don't be confused about that. You know, when the day comes and I get to heaven and I get my like, I hope they have hockey cards, you know, <laughs> highlights, you know, here's Elijah. He's six foot and it's got his stats and he just, and they're going to print those special highlight cards like they did, you know, back in the day when I was a kid and it's going to say career highlight for Elijah and it's not going to be Mount Carmel where he defeated the 450 prophets of Baal. It's going to be him at Mount Horeb. You can ask Elijah when you get to heaven, which event he'd choose to relive the Mount Carmel showdown or the Mount Horeb still small voice of the Lord. And I'll bet my life on it that he will tell you Mount Horeb and the still small voice of the Lord. You know why? Because there is nothing more powerful to the human heart than the quiet assurance that comes from the presence of the Lord as he speaks to you. Isn't it true? There is nothing more powerful to the, to the human heart than the still small voice of the Lord in the valley of discouragement. You know, I would say this, spiritual victories can be dangerous. Mountaintops can be dangerous. Because they breed an unhealthy contentment or ease or comfort or pride. See, you need the valley with your victories. 
You need the valley with your victories so that the Lord can give you fresh assignments. You need the valley with the victory for the garden fresh unwilted sense of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. You need the valley. And so the Lord will strengthen you and he'll take you there so that he can reveal himself to you. See, the word of God, as we've been saying through this this study in 2 Corinthians, the word of God and the Holy Spirit are working to crush your trust in this world. The Holy Spirit is working to trust, to crush your confidence in human fleshly things, to destroy your sense of self-reliance and create in you a greater dependency on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right, Elijah. Your sufficiency comes from me. I know you had a great victory. Let's not forget your sufficiency comes from me. That's right, Paul. Your sufficiency comes from, you feel the sentence of death? Now I'll strengthen you. Remember where your sufficiency comes from. And I would say, yes, good Christian, don't forget where your sufficiency comes from. The Lord, you are new covenant ministers. Don't make the mistake to believe Satan's lies, to think that the pastor does the work of the ministry. Mistake. We are ministers. We are the church. And if, you know, I would say if ministry simply happened from the pulpit on a Sunday or in a building, when that's what we picture ministry as, it, it, it builds this weariness in the hearts of God's people from time to time. You know, they, they get spiritually anemic. And this morning, I want to remind you that you are a minister, a new covenant minister. You reflect the glory of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are Christ's hands and feet. You are the light of the world. And that mission that you've been given as a light of a world is not a switch that you flip on and off. It's not like Christmas lights and you go outside and unplug it when it gets, you know, when it's time to go to bed. You are a new covenant minister. The scripture, in fact, says that you shine like stars in the heavens as you hold out the word of life. See, God gave us stars. He gave men stars so that we might find direction and navigate through the night. And that's what your life is meant to be in this world. You're like a GPS waypoint directing people to the son of righteousness, King Jesus. And we must remember that we are always ministering. You know, I want to be praying for ministry opportunities when I walk in the door of my kid's school. I pray for their ministry before they go to school. You know, when I go play hockey, I make sure I pray the whole way up the hill for my teammates and that I'd have opportunities in that dressing room. When I help coach my kids, I pray for the families and the coaches that I get to work with. When I speak to my neighbors, I pray. I'm the new covenant minister and I can't turn it off. And so are you. 
You know, I would say in the valley and in the victory, you can't turn it off. Home or workplace, you can't turn it off. Title or no title, you are a minister, a new covenant minister. And that's why Paul says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Ministry comes by the mercy of God. That's what he says. You know, Elijah was on the run. And I just think it's wild to think that God even strengthened him while he was on the run. But he did so, so that he would get more desperate, so that he would come to the end of himself. Obviously, after one day and one night of running, the Lord knew that Elijah's heart had not felt the necessary desperation that it needed to have. That first trip was just reactionary. And it's amazing to consider that the Lord strengthened him so that he'd run further. And run he did. 40 days and nights without stopping. See, the Lord was after Elijah's heart. He was after his heart, not his emotions. God wanted his heart and he wasn't yet a broken man. And you know, God will, he will wound the man he wants to use. He will wound the minister, the new covenant minister he wants to use. Or he'll let you wander off into the valley of discouragement. He'll let you return to that place, Mount Sinai, where the law was given. And until you come to the end of your rope and call out on him, he'll just, he'll let you wander around there. And for Elijah, finally, in this moment of stillness, after 40 days and nights on the run, God spoke to him and said, again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah vented. He was bold. He was mad. I've been jealous for you, Lord. You know, the people forsook your covenants. They threw down your altars. They killed your prophets, and I'm the only one left. So he cried out to the Lord. He vented, and I think he felt righteous when he vented. And God listened. And when he was done, God gave him a fresh assignment. You know, in that moment... Did Elijah deserve the fresh assignment? Not if I'm God. If I'm God, scruff of the neck. Come on, man, wake up. Come on, Elijah, you idiot, idiot. I mean, I'd rub his face in it. But not our God. See, it was his mercy. In his mercy, he gave him a fresh assignment. Because ministry is an act of mercy. That's what Paul is saying. Our, participate, our participation in ministry, again, do not limit ministry to the four walls of this building. This is a building. We are the church. You are ministers. You are ministers. Our participation in ministry, our participation in the mission of God is an act of his mercy that he lets us participate. And you know, so often... You and I can treat it like it's an obligation. Or when I'm discouraged, I can act as though God owed me something for my service to him. Which reminds me of Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 17, in which he said this. Will any one of you who is a servant plowing or keeping sheep to him, keep, keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare, your sup prepare my supper for me and dress properly 
and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So also when you have done all that you were commanded, must say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. See, Elijah vented. And the Lord listened. And then he said, Elijah, off you go now to Damascus. Anoint Hazel as the next king of Syria. Anoint Jehu as the next king of Israel. Take Elisha and anoint him. He's going to be your successor. And those who Hazel fails to kill, Jehu will kill. And those who Jehu fails to kill, Elisha will kill. And oh yeah, by the way, Elijah, I've preserved 7,000 who haven't bowed to Baal or kissed him with their mouths. You know, I think in that moment, Elijah probably felt about this big. <laughs> in a humble, healthy way, in a healthy way, Elijah's perspective was corrected. See, the valley is necessary for the, after the victory or even before the victory. The valley is necessary. You know, this week I just, oh man, I, I let something get to me in a way that I just never do. Just a little thing. And I stewed on it for 24 hours. Then one day this week, as I went to my quiet time, I could not get my head to clear. You know, I'm reading the Bible and it's like nothing, 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 nothing. I did my regular daily read. I, I can't stop. I can't think about the word of God. I can't, I can't tell you one thing that I read and so I'm just going to keep reading. And so I kept reading and nothing, nothing. Couldn't see the forest from the trees. And I don't often get like that. I mean, if you know me, I'm pretty happy-go-lucky. But man, I went into that valley and it was deep and the walls were high and it was stupid. It was stupid. I couldn't clear my mind of that thick cloud. And so I began to just pace discouraged about life and discouraged about ministry. And I began to just ask the Lord to help me, to strengthen me, to get my focus where it should be. I sensed that the despair was not rational. It was not from the Lord, but I couldn't navigate my way out. And as I prayed, the Holy Spirit quickened my heart and my mind and brought to the forefront of my thoughts, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And you know, in an instant, that, that door unlocked, and in an instant, the anxious heart was calmed, and I was lifted from that valley. See, Elijah did not take on the prophetic ministry by himself. It was by the mercy of God. And Paul did not take on himself, his ministry, God gave it to him in mercy. I did not take on ministry by my own human doings. No, God in his mercy gave it to me. And you have not taken on ministry in your human strength either. God in his mercy has given it to you and he has equipped you for every good and perfect work in him. We are ministers we have this ministry 
by the mercy of God. And so we must remember that life is ministry. Life is ministry. Do you understand that? It's ministry. Everything. It never stops. You do not turn it off ever. You are a new covenant minister. In fact, I might say that it's not that you do ministry, but you are ministry. You are ministry. Ministry pervades everything as you follow Christ. Life becomes it. And you know, I guess the question that the Holy Spirit would ask each one of us today is this. Are you really in the ministry or are you just on the run? Are you really in the ministry or are you just on the run? You know, if on the run, then God will strengthen you and he'll let you run. He'll strengthen you and you can continue your fleeing until you come to the end of yourself. So you collapse in exhaustion before the law of God. Do you collapse in exhaustion from this hurried pace of life and sit long enough to hear him speak in his still small voice? See, Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, Paul said, if you look in your Bibles at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, something amazing. He said, kind of hard to grasp, but he said, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our bodies. He says it again in another way in verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. See, ministry begins when God's people learn to die. Ministry begins when God's people learn to die so that Christ and his power can manifest himself through their bodies and through their lives. See, when, we come, when I come to the end of myself, Jesus can manifest power. When you come to the end of yourself, he can manifest power, but it doesn't happen until we die. Hey, Elijah, I was wondering if you could relive one earthly experience, you know, it's Mount Carmel, 450 bit prophets, <laughs> giving a tomb, fire, all that stuff. Or Mount Horeb, what would it be? And he'd answer, oh, without a doubt, it would be Mount Horeb. Because there I came to the end of myself. I came to the end of my strength. And in that place, God spoke to me. See, if you are in ministry, if your life is the ministry, it is by the mercy of God. Ministry happens by the mercy of God. And so Paul says, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. Why? Because Jesus gave us the ministry. New Testament ministry, new covenant ministry, ministry of the spirit, ministry with surpassing glory, open and bold and full of freedom and transforming power. We don't lose heart. We work for something that is eternal. We do not lose heart because we increasingly comprehend the gospel and its power. 
We did not lose heart because we are never forsaken. We do not lose heart because we will be rewarded for our work. I'd say we're too legit to quit. See, Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, we don't lose heart. We're ministers and we've been given the greatest treasure. I invite Marcus and Jerry to come on up here. And let's just uh, close in a word of prayer this morning. Jesus. I'm so quick to run, Jesus. I'm so quick to run. Run from that which you have given. And Lord, this morning, there are those here who are on the run. And there are those here who are in a great spot. And Lord, this morning, we just ask that you would touch our hearts again. That Lord, you'd speak in that still, small voice to us. Lord, for those whom for a while have not heard that still, small voice, I pray this morning that your spirit would bring them to the end of themselves right now, Lord. That they'd still sit still long enough to hear you speak in that quiet voice. Your assurance, your love, your grace, and the assignment that you've given them. I thank you, Lord, that we have a ministry. I thank you, Lord, that we are ministers. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would not turn it off ever. Would you help us to be on, Lord, in our service to you? Lord, for those on the run, I I pray that you would strengthen them, that you would strengthen them today, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And in a fresh way, Lord Jesus, we, we say from our heart, we want our lives, we want our hearts, Lord, and our lives to be a place of ministry. Not just Sunday Christianity, Lord. Not just turning it on as we walk through the doors. But ministry that touches every heart, every part of our lives, Lord, pervades our homes, our workplaces, our friendships, our marriages, our parenting. Lord, would you give us the power to do so? Would you give us the power to do so? You know, this morning, just as every head is bowed, every eye closed, maybe you just give privacy to your neighbor around you, but... um. Maybe you're here this morning, you never, ever surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Spent your whole life on the run. Spent your whole life on the run. It's a weary thing. It's tiring to run and run and run and never find rest. 
You know that Christ came? The Christmas story is about the Son of God coming down to give peace to our hearts. To restore in us that which was broken, a relationship with our Father in heaven. And the scripture tells us that Jesus took our sin upon his body. He was crucified on that tree. He died and he was buried and he was raised to life. He conquered death and hell and sin. And the scripture says that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And when that happens, the word of God promises that God will impart to you many things. Joy, peace, purpose, direction in life, strength, victory. Jesus is inviting you this morning to sit still and to invite him in. So if, you know, if you've been on the run and you say, I just want to invite Christ in. I want to invite him into my heart and life. I want to invite the presence of God to come and forgive my sin and dwell in my heart and life. I'd like to do that. I'd love to just pray with you. It won't point you out, nothing like that. But if you'd like to invite Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life and surrender to him, you could raise your hand or look at me or just get my attention. I'd like to pray with you after, okay? Thank you. Lord, we thank you that you come into our hearts as, you invite, as we invite you. Lord, I pray that you'd establish that work in each one of our lives, Lord. God, we don't want to run, but we want to be on mission. Lord, we pray as your church that you would help us to be the church in this community to do the work of the ministry. I thank you, Lord, that you give us the strength to do it. Lord, fill us again afresh and anew with your spirit. Speak to each one of our hearts, fresh assignments, fresh works, Lord, that you would have us to do. Lord, we thank you that you love us. And we worship you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's stand this morning. We'll sing.